Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Well, like it or not, believe it or not, we're on the threshold of a brand new year. Amen? And some of us are glad to see the old one go. Others of us kind of hate to see 19 move on by because it was a good year. Some people have had celebrations. They've had babies. They've had marriage. They've had career change. They've had just good things, man. It was a good year. Other people, not so much. Some people have experienced loss and suffering and disappointments. And so we all come today with a different idea about a year change. I kind of like the idea of moving into 2020, quite honestly. I just think it sounds better than 2019. It's fuller. It's complete. 2019, it's like it's just missing a little something. And so uh, I want to encourage you to make New Year's resolutions. I, I don't have a lot. I told you my main one, to be sure and get the flu shot in 2020. All right. Other than that, I don't have a lot. I want to continue some of the habits that I've, that I've changed in my life in the last few months. Exercise, moving more, eating less in a nutshell. That's kind of what it looks like. Being more intentionally focused on my relationship with God, moving forward. Some of those things are already in place. I just don't want to change them. I want to keep moving forward in a positive way. But sometimes what we do is we make resolutions only to find out that we choke on them like day two, Right? You make a New Year's resolution, and then, I mean, it's like right out of the chute. Everything, all the planets align trying to mess up your resolution. And so you immediately feel defeated. And so often what we do, we never even make it through the first month because we choked on our resolution. Well, I discovered this only this week. I've never seen this before. So I'm going to give you a little hope uh, for a do-over or a reset on your resolution. Here it is. I didn't know this, but the Orthodox Christian New Year's date is January 14th. So if you start your resolution on a resolution on our January 1st and you mess it all up, no big deal. January 14th, just go by the Orthodox Christian New Year's Day. All right, fair enough. So there's your redo because they go by the Julian calendar and not the Gregorian calendar. Thought I'd throw that bit of information in for you. All right, number two, here's another one for you. If you choke even at the 14th, there's still hope for you. You can drop off and align yourself with the Chinese New Year. Chinese New Year, listen to this, is January 17th through the 24th. There's a whole week you get to mess it all up. So really, you got till the 24th to work through all that, get, your, uh, get, get those events that want to mess up your resolution behind you. And not only that, I don't know if you know this or not, but in Chinese culture, they celebrate the Zodiac, right? And I don't know if you know it, but this is going to be encouraging to you. 2020, if you put yourself under the Chinese calendar, is year of the rat. Isn't that encouraging? Boy, dead as a hammer. I thought you would like year of the rat. I know some of you thought last year was the year of the rat. So uh, with all that being said, I did make some, I was thinking about some resolutions that I could have made for, that I could make for 2020 and probably be successful. I'm going to procrastinate sooner. I'm going to eat more bacon and more pie on the same day. I'm going to watch more Fox News repeating their defense of Donald Trump. 
I'm going to sit on the couch and think of all the things that I could be doing if I wasn't sitting on the couch. And I'm going to act like I can hear Kendra more when she talks to me. Now, what I mean by that, Kendra said, here's how Kendra communicates. When you get old, it's funny things happen. I hear less. She speaks more. She goes, Joel. I'm like, what? She goes, well. She speaks in some foreign mouse language that I can't hear. So after she gets frustrated, I get frustrated saying I can't hear, so I just act like I hear. So, baby, in 2020, I'm going to act like I hear you more. All right? Don't be disappointed in in the results. And so... With all that being said, uh, the real question is, for 2020, are you prepared? And of all the preparations you could possibly make, of all the things you could do to kind of line, stack up, put in order, there's really one overwhelming thing that needs to be prepared, and that is your spiritual life. Are you prepared spiritually to navigate through a year of future unknowns? Isn't that kind of crazy to think about that? You, you have no idea what 2020 holds. You have thoughts, and you've made plans to align and direct it to an end result, but we really don't know what 2020 holds. It's future, and none of us know the future. You don't. I don't. But here's the good news. We know the one who controls and manages the future. So if we don't know the future, doesn't it make sense if we can get really close to the one who manages and already has slated the future? If we can get close to him, and uh, the, the, the closer we get to him, the better we will be prepared for the coming new year. And, and so with that being said, I want to encourage you today. I want to motivate you today. And I want to help us all kind of posture and position ourselves for everything that God would possibly have for us in 2020. And that means the good things and the difficult things. Because, you know, the Bible says to be thankful in all things. That's a hard one, isn't it? The good things and the bad things. We're supposed to have hearts of gratitude because God is at the center of it. Now, if you messed anything up in 2019, raise your hand. Okay, if you don't raise your hand, I'm going to hang out with you all next year because you got it all figured out. Okay, I want to encourage you by saying you're not alone. If you saw those hands go up, all of us messed some things up in 2019. And I know this much about the future. All of us will mess something up in 2020. But I want to tell you something greater. The greatest man next to Jesus, I believe, one of the arguably greatest men other than Jesus or next to Jesus in all of history is a guy named Paul who was Saul, the persecutor of the church, the the educated uh, Pharisee Jewish guy who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. And in his own writings, he talks about how he messed some things up. So I just want to encourage you, going forward, I want to look back a couple thousand years in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Paul says this, It is not as though I have already attained or am already perfected, But I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things which are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good to know we're keeping good company when we mess up? 
So what we can learn from this is even when we mess up, it, it doesn't mean we wave the white flag, we throw, up the, throw in the towel of surrender. It means that we just refocus, realign ourselves with God's will for our life, and we push forward for the, uh, toward the prize of the upward call, the thing that God has put you here to accomplish. Now, that being said, what are some things that we need to to do and understand and ponder and consider to align ourselves well and to prepare ourselves well for 2020. Well, I'm calling the message 2020 Alignment. It's a tune-up kit is what it is. This is a tune-up kit. You know, every now and then you got to take your car in and get a tune-up. Sometimes we need a tune-up, and this is a spiritual tune-up. So right now, look at your neighbor and say, this is a good day. Tell your neighbor it's out with the old. Tell your neighbor just let it go. Tell your neighbor it's in with the new. Tell your neighbor, why don't you just bring it, let it, uh, why don't you just bring it on? Just tell your neighbor, just bring it on. You see, sometimes we want to hold on to the old, we don't want to change, we don't want to, we don't want to mix it up. And all the while, God is out there trying to put something new in our life, and we simply reject it. So question number one in our 2020 alignment that we need to answer, and we need to have a firm without reservation without debate, uh, unapologetically, we need to have a good answer to this question, and it is simply this, who am I? Who am I? This is an alignment where we determine before God, inspired by his Holy Spirit, who we are before God, who we really, really are. I mean, if I came to you and said, hey, who are you anyway? Well, my name's Bill. You know, hey, who are you, Mom? My name's Joel. You know, we tell our name, but it's not really who we are. <clears throat> who we are is, is who we are at the core, down deep in who we are. And the most significant part of who we are, the greatest single uh, question we'll ever ask is who, who are we spiritually? As a man, as a woman, as a student, where am I at on my journey with the God who created me? And so that's what we're going to talk about for just a minute. Now, we're going to get our answer from Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you three things that God says about you, okay? Because sometimes we, we for some reason, choose to define ourselves based on our, an opinion of who we think we are. When in reality, there's a much greater definition of who you are, and it comes from the God who created you. In Ephesians chapter 1... It says in verse 1, this is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. This is to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Now here's what he's saying. Paul's saying, listen, I'm writing this, this book to Ephesus, but generally Future reference, I'm writing this to all of you who claim Christianity. To all of those who have placed yourself willingly under the grace gift of Jesus Christ. All of you who have realized that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. That you are out there struggling, distant in a dark world, moving further and further away from God. And you need a rescuer to come and get you. And Jesus is the rescuer, and you put yourself willingly under and receive what Jesus has done. He's saying this is to you. If this is you, this is who you are. And so when somebody says, who am I? 
Let's see what, how God weighs in. This is beautiful. And it's kind of a little bit of a theology lesson, but it's really good that we get it. A, you are selected. Tell your neighbor, you've been picked. It's cool, man. You've been picked. Everybody likes to be picked. I remember when we were in Alabama, I've shared this story, but it's a perfect illustration. I had a girl in my youth group, and she was special needs, and she wasn't very attractive physically. She couldn't talk very plain. She had no athletic ability, but she was a sweetheart, and she came faithfully to our youth group every week. And we would play basketball, and I had some studs, some athletic studs in my youth group. They could play some ball. And on every Wednesday night, I would say, if you want to play ball, line up on the wall. And I would pick four captains. And I'd say, okay, each one of you just start picking until they're all gone. And we would play basketball. Well, on this particular night, uh, Alan Gearhart was one of the guys who was just a great human being. He had a good heart, and he was a great athlete. And he looked at Brandy, the one who had no abilities, and his first pick for the night was Brandy. Brandy? I want you on my team. It threw me a curveball. Brandy, honestly, it may have been the greatest moment in her life short of salvation. There's no doubt in my mind she had never been picked first to be on any kind of athletic team. Her face lit up like the sun, and she said, me? And Alan said, just like, I mean, like she was, you know, top tier. He said, yeah. And she came over with him. And I never will forget. I thought, man, that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Why? Because everybody likes to be picked. And everybody likes to be picked by someone who everybody admires. You've been picked by God. Now, how does that play out then in the rest of this story? The next captain, what's he do? He goes to the second worst player on the bunch and picks them. It was an upside-down day for picking teams. The point is this. We all want to be picked, and it feels good. You have been selected by the Father. Listen to what it says in verse 4. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be a holy and blameless people before him in love. Before he ever created this planet... Before he ever whispered all of the galaxy into existence, before the trees and the plants and the animal kingdom, before the planetary alignments, he knew you and he picked you. He selected you. So look at your neighbor and say, you've been selected. <clears throat> so when somebody says, who are you? You say, well, let me begin by saying, first of all, I've been selected. Okay? You've been selected. And this is inclusive. Now, number two, I want you to see, not only are you selective, uh, selected, you, as a child of God, you've been saved from your sinful condition. The first one, selected, is the, is the choice of the Father. The second one is the work of the Son, the second part in the Trinity. This is what it says in verse 6 here in Ephesians 1. It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, that he was freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved Son. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our offenses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. You are selected, you are saved. Now I want you to understand in this equation of salvation experience, the only part, the only thing you bring to the salvation equation is a need 
for salvation. It doesn't say to the praise of the glory of his grace and your goodness. It doesn't say uh, to, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us and the fact that you contributed your own goodness to it. It says, no, he says, man, you are a joke. Your life is full of offenses, and he's lavished Jesus and his perfection and his right standing. He's just lavished, just smathered you. He just takes a brush and just brushes you with the rightness of Jesus. You don't bring anything to the table but a need for what Jesus offers. See, you are sealed you like how I covered up that microphone, don't you? That was pretty smooth right there, all right? You are sealed. Not only are you selected and saved, now you got a mark on you, man. You got a mark on you. We live in a world of ink, and you, all may, you may have tattoos all over you. It doesn't bother me at all. I have no problem with ink. I don't have any ink on me that I'm aware of. I have no tattoos, okay, because I've seen a lot of old tattoos. They don't look near as good as new tattoos. So I think forward, and I just don't have any. But I have a mark on me. I've been, I've been um, sealed with a mark that I can't see. But the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they see this seal upon me. So what happens? He selected me. Jesus came and he saved me. And now to mark me for the forever kingdom, he sealed me. Listen to what it says <clears throat> in verse 13 and 14. It says, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit who is the down payment, the earnest money, if you will, of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. This is so cool. So he picked me out of a mess, man. He selected me in the mess that I was in. He didn't wait for me to get cleaned up. Sometimes we say, well, I'm a, I'm a, I need to clean myself. I'm not ready to come to Jesus. I got a mess in my life. I need to clean myself up before I come to you, That ain't the way it works. If, it, if, if, if you can clean yourself up enough for Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die uh, on a cross for you. You know what I'm saying? You can't fix you. So you bring your old messy bag of bones to him and let him do the fixing. And so what happens now that he's fixed you, then he marks you. He puts a down payment mark on you that says, this is only temporary. You're going to live a life of flesh and blood, and it's going to include hurts and sorrows and difficulties because I'm saving you from the inside out. And on the inside, you can always be healed. You can always be satisfied. You can always enjoy your existence, but it's going to be carried around in this old carnal flesh body. And I'm going to seal it with a mark, but it's just a down payment. Because one day I'm going to give you a brand new body and you're going to be with me forever. And that's what the mark does. It marks us for something future. I want you to really understand today, moving forward, I want you to always know if you're a child of God, saved, born again, washed in Jesus, the only thing you bring to the equation is a need for what he gives you. I, and, and I want to make this point by going back 2,700 years. This is not a new thing. At 2,700 years ago, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 43, 18, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now, it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You see, God does the thing. God does the thing. That's you. You just receive the thing that God is doing, and that's good news. That's liberating. Why? 
Because I want to tell you something about your life in 2020. It won't be perfect. You're going to make some mistakes. And when you make mistakes and you start looking in the mirror saying, you old rascal, you, you're just about as pitiful as you were last year, that's condemnation. And when the enemy says, yeah, you say you're a child of God and you say you want to do this and God's doing great things in your life, look, you went right back to that old mess. That old, you're like that dog going back to his own vomit. Man, look at you. Look at you. That's condemnation. When you hear condemnation in, in your mistakes, you are not listening to the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. What you're listening to is your old self, that old flesh self, whispering those old lies into your life. So what do you do when you realize you've made a joke of your life? You look up and you say, yeah, devil, you know me well. You got me pegged. Okay, and I know me well too. I can say this. I, I'm 57 years old. I can look in the mirror and I know me. I know my weaknesses and my faults. I know where when I mess up. I know what my tendencies to mess up are. But you know what? When I do mess up, I can take that to the foot of the cross and say, uh, Jesus, you know, when your father selected me, you came down here and did something about it and you saved me. And I'm sealed, I'm marked, and I'm reminding myself of that. I need to tap into a little more of your grace. I need you to wash me clean again and help me be stronger not to continue on that same dark path. Amen? Amen? That's good, good news. And you know, Jesus told a story. He says, who? He tells the story of a guy who forgives debts and one person forgave X number of dollars of debt and the other one a much greater. And then he said, who do you think loved more? The one who forgave more or the one who forgave less? And, the one who had been forgiven much or the one who had, who, who had been forgiven little? And the answer is the one who has been forgiven more. You need to realize just how bad you needed a rescuer. And the more we realize how bad we are before Christ, the more we can love and appreciate and draw from that. So what's it supposed to look like moving forward? Maybe you're here today and, and, and what I'm talking about is a little foreign to you. And maybe what you're hearing is that that's, that's an amazing thing you're saying, that God selected us, Jesus saved us, and the Holy Spirit has sealed us. I don't know for sure if that's me. I, I don't know for sure if I am under that new leadership. I don't know if my life is under new management yet. I, I've heard stories, but I'm, I don't know that I'm under that. I just not, I'm not confident in that. What's it supposed to look like? It's beautiful. You go back to the early church in Acts chapter 2, and Peter's preaching. And in verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both the Lord and Christ. He's just preaching, sharing what Jesus has done. And listen at the response in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were acutely distressed. Okay, they were like... This is, this is not aligning itself with who I realize myself to be. And, it says, and so they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, What should we do, brothers? And Peter said to them, Here it is. Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that sweet? It's that easy. It's not complicated. When we hear the Holy Spirit speak to us and we realize we're outside of that new management, outside of that new selected, saved, sealed uh, position, what do we do? We say, well, okay, 
You repent. That means we change our mind 180 degrees. We've been living for ourselves outside of God. And we, we hear him and we just repent. We turn from that and we give it to God. And we say, God, I want you to take me, the mess that I am, and put me under. I want to be under that new management. I want to be under that whole selected, saved, and sealed umbrella. I want to be yours. I take it. I receive it. And then we follow in believer's baptism. So that's who we are I want you to know something today. Every Christian has a past. Tell your neighbor, you got some skeletons. Tell your neighbor, God knows all about them. But I want you to know something about your past. Your past may be used to describe you, but your past cannot be used to define you. You see, there is a big difference we all have past, and it kind of comes with us, man. And it can be used to kind of describe who we are. And I got some terrible stuff in my past. But it can be used to describe who I am today because all of that is, I'm a, a, a composite, a composition of all of that stuff. Every good decision and every bad decision, every good encounter and every bad encounter, it can describe me, but it cannot define me. I am defined by Ephesians 1. I've been selected, saved, and sealed. That defines me. That's what changes my victory moving forward when the temptations come. And, man, it seems like <clears throat> there's no way like there's no way out. And then all of a sudden, the, I'm reminded that scriptures that says there is therefore now no condemnation. And then I remember there is therefore now no temptation that's overtaken me that's not common to all people. But God is faithful and with every temptation, he will make a way of escape. I'm under a new definition. And I begin to live according to that new definition. Now, that's who we are. And in just a minute, maybe you're here today and you need to be saved today. You need to move yourself, posture yourself, position yourself under that new management. Just simply say, well, God, I, I, I didn't know you knew me like that. And, and I didn't know you accepted me like that. And so I'll take it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put myself willingly. I, I receive it. I repent. I receive it. I'll be baptized. I'm a new person. Now, maybe most of us have already allowed ourselves to be a child of God, adopted into the kingdom through Jesus. Well, then we come together, and the point number two is we need to consider and align ourselves as a church. You see, all we are is a bunch of individuals on the journey with God through Jesus' his Son. So we're a composition of different people with different stories but one common thread, and that is the thread of grace found in Jesus. And then he puts us all together, and we're called a church. It's kind of cool, the ecclesia, okay? The called out ones, that's what we are as a church. <clears throat> it's real important moving into 2020 that we're the church that God wants us to be and not the church that we want us to be. And the church that God wants us to be is made up of people just like you. Tell your neighbor, he's talking to you. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Something so much bigger and beautiful like the church, the eternal bride of Jesus, is made up of each one of us. That's so cool to think that I'm a part of the eternal bride of Jesus. 
I'm an ugly groom. I'm a real ugly bride, but he selected me, saved me, and sealed me, and that makes it okay, all right? And so how are we supposed to be? Who are we supposed to be moving forward? Well, we're going to go back about 2,000 years for a minute into Acts chapter 2 again, and we're going to look at the, the pioneer church, the early church, the first century church, the, the birth of, of, of the church. They did it well, and we need to align ourselves with that. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, I want you to see the first characteristic of a church, of the early church, which should be the characteristic of us, which should be the characteristic of you and me. The first word is faithful comes to mind. It says in verse 42, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. Man, they dug in. They came to church with a pen and a piece of paper. Okay, and they took notes because they want to know. They want to know more. They want to understand more. And you know what? There's not a reference to that. When these new believers would leave church, they would go to Aubrey's and talk about how they disagree with what the preacher said on Sunday morning. Is some of you, quite honestly, and not in this group, but in the second service, um, <laughs> quite honestly, you should start your own church because you have it all figured out. And how do I know that? Because I preach almost 50 weeks a year, at least 45 weeks a year. And, and, and I watch your life. I never hear anything exciting spiritually going on because you haven't changed. You haven't heard anything from the Holy Spirit spoken through the preacher. So you got it all figured out. Honestly, there's, there's a need for more churches. You should go plant one. Faithful. They were faithfully devoted to the teaching of the apostles. So how do we finish point number one of this, faithful? On a scale of one to ten, how faithful are you as part of the bride of Christ? As part of his church, how faithful are you on a scale of one to ten? One being not very much, ten being great. Just write that down real quick. If you don't have a piece of paper, look at your neighbor and tell them what you said because I want to see their response. Just tell your neighbor, Kendra, I'm telling you. Y'all mind your own business. What's yours? You have nothing. I'll give you a three. No, I'm just kidding. See? Now listen, why is it a joke to tell the person next to us? Because we kind of flatter ourselves. I'm not a seven. I'm probably a four. Okay? Who really knows and who really gives us a score? The Father, Jesus the Son. What would he say about our faithfulness? Number two. They were prayerful. They were, it says they were uh, uh, given to fellowship. I'm sorry. They were friendly. Number two, they were friendly. The word here in Greek is koinonia. Okay, it's a, it's a fellowship. It's, it's a hard word to define. It defines itself in a lot of different ways in Scripture. But it, <coughs> it means there was something more than just a weekly check the box, I came to a meeting. There's a fellowship here, man. There's something different that's bigger, a bond that's different than what you get in the world. It's different than what you get at work. It's different than what you get at the country club. It's different than what you get at the Lions Club. It's different than what you get other places. There's something different. There's a bond. There's a genuine love and a concern and a care among those who are part of it. And so the question is, what do you contribute to the koinonia? What do you contribute to the friendliness of the church at Sturkey Hill? Scale of 1 to 10, tell your neighbor. Go ahead and tell them. 
I'm going to get two. You're being very nice to yourself. I'm going to give myself an eight. I'm a friendly guy. All it, in, all it invoked was a cough. Okay? Did you tell your neighbor what you were? Did they laugh at you? All right. Number three, they were prayerful. It says they were, to, they were given to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. These were people who were devoted, man. They were fervent in their prayer life. Man, they dug in and they leaned in on God because they wanted this experience, this church, to be everything not they wanted. Not, well, am I happy with everything? Do I like the music? Do I like the preaching? Do I like the atmosphere? Is it this or Who cares? God doesn't care what you think, okay? They didn't care. They just wanted what God wanted. So they dug in and they leaned into God in prayer, wanting every, it to be everything that God wanted. So how is your prayer life? One to ten, tell your neighbor. Go ahead, tell your neighbor. I'm going to tell my, what's your, mine? Stop looking at me. Y'all got your own business. I'm the preacher, okay? What's yours? Um, we got to do some homework with you. Okay? Not only were they given, not only were they prayerful, they were expectant, man. This is so good. I love the way it processes. They prayed and then they expected God to respond. Was in marriage counseling not long ago, and the young lady was talking about a prayer she had for her fiance that, that God would just change his heart. And then she went like there was like a, I mean, it was like a eureka moment. She said, and you know what? I said, what? Well, she said, God did that. I said, you act like he doesn't normally do that. Well, maybe he does, but not like that. You know, you know, what, the, you know what the reality is? He's always doing that stuff. We pray, and it's okay to trust him. But we should look expectantly for answered prayer so it develops and builds our faith. So in those crisis moments when we really need an aha moment with God, we say, God, I need you. Like all those other times, I've been having a heart of gratitude about your answering my prayers however you saw fit, but I knew it was your answer. Then right now, I need you to answer, and I'm going to trust you that no matter what that answer looks like, whether it's my answer or it's, it's just terribly different than my answer, I'm going to trust you because you know what you're doing it says in verse 43 reverential awe came over everyone and many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles I was thinking about this and sometimes people say they look away and they say well I just wasn't crazy about worship today well that's fine nobody was here to worship you number one and number two well I just wasn't crazy about the message today. Well, the message today may not be for you. It may be for the person sitting next to you. It may have just been for the preacher, okay? I, I, I just didn't really sense anything great about today. Let me ask you a question. How much worship and how much greatness did you bring? How, how much worship and how much greatness did you come to expect? Why would God demonstrate his awesome nature if you didn't come to meet with him, the reality is, if you didn't get anything from church, the buck may stop in your front yard. When you walk through your front yard, you may have left an expectant attitude and a worshipful uh, posture at the house. 
And God won't show up like that. And so we need to be a church, man, that's expecting God to do greatness. That when we show up on Monday, excuse me, on Sunday, <clears throat> we're just ready to experience God. We have an expectation. On a scale of 1 to 10, expectant toward God. What do you give your score? Tell your neighbor. Next, I want to look at the next word, which is unified. It says in verse 44, all <clears throat> who believed were together and, and they held everything in common. What an amazing thing about the church. You realize we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different jobs, different upbringings, different IQs, different educations, different resources. We live in different homes and drive different cars we have different numbers of children and grandchildren. We have different colors of hair and just a whole assorted variety. I mean, we are a mixed bag, right? But when we come together in Christ, he pushes through all of that and builds something that's unified. That's really, that's really odd, isn't it? That we're all different and yet we're unified because we find our unity in Christ. You know, Jesus, before he went back to heaven, <clears throat> the one thing he prayed for about those who follow, he could have prayed for anything, health, wealth, prosperity, whatever he did, and he prayed that they would find unity, all right? Because the common way, the default mode is just to fuss and fight, and quite honestly, I'm really tickled at the church at Sturkey Hills. We don't have much of that, and when it rises up, there's a few people that rise up against them and just straighten them out. I don't have to. I love it, Okay? And so when it comes to being unified, there's no big I's and little U's. They're all just side by side. We're side by side digging in. They were all serving. They were all giving. And they all found their place. So on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at on that one? Are you in the fold serving, giving, and being your part of the body? Isn't that cool? You're part of the body. Don't try to be somebody else and... And just be the part that God called you to be, and it'll turn out beautiful. Next, they were unselfish, verse 45. They began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. Now, that's a big one. I'm not going to talk about giving today because I preached on that for a couple of weeks. But I am going to say this. Church, uh, toward the Vision 2020, building our new building, um, we have about... Um, 38% of our giving units in the church have, are participating in Vision 2020, 38%. Our, our weekly giving is about 25%. Now, here's what's sad. I mean, here's what's good. We're better than the national average. National average is about 20%. But that's, that's like bragging that Tennessee is number 21 on the syphilis list in America. I mean, it's really not a bragging point. You know what I mean? That got your attention, didn't it? Okay. It's not a bragging point that 25% of our people give to the church. We're better than the national average, but it ain't really bragging. 38% of us have given to Vision 2020 toward the new building. I want to encourage you to consider that. They gave, man. They were just unselfish. Next, they were committed, verse 46, every day. They continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food and glad with glad, humble hearts. They were committed. They just, there was no backing up. There was no interference. There was nothing that was going to keep them away from coming together and being the church that they needed to be. 
Next, they were thankful. Verse 47, they praised God, having goodwill of all the people that had hearts of gratitude. And so, church, we need to align ourselves with that church. And it happens one by one. As you've graded yourself in these categories, that's how the church becomes the church that aligns itself with the early church. And then number three, and we're finished because we're taking communion, is who are they? We said, who am I? Okay. Uh, who are we as a church? And lastly, who are they? It finishes in that passage. They were growing. It says, and the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. They added every day those who were being saved. Are you inviting people to come be a part of what God's doing? In 2019, if you look, in, if you look around in the church and you say, who is here this year? Because of my efforts in 2019, is there a list? Is there no one? I want to encourage you and challenge you for 2020. <clears throat> Be the person who cares about who they are. Be the person who engages a lost and de-churched and unchurched world. And bring them. Compel them, go out, and the Bible says go out and compel them to come, <coughs> that the house may be full, all right? And this is an early service. I don't expect it to be much fuller than this. This is a good-looking early service. But have you brought friends this year? Well, 2020 alignment, and we're going to take communion, is who am I, who are we, and who are they? I want you to pray with me before communion. Father, we come to you. Moving into this new year, 2020, we thank you that we get to start a brand new calendar year. And God, we know that we only have calendar years because of what Jesus did. It's because of Jesus that we even have a calendar. And so God, help us look at this new 2020 year. What a full, rounded number. Help this be the year that we, one by one, we align ourselves better about who I am before you. And we see ourselves as you see us. But God, then we come together and, and, and we become more of who we are supposed to be as a church. That we find our place of service. That we find our willingness and, and ability to give. That we find ourselves the part that you would have us play in this beautiful body of Christ. And then thirdly, God, moving into 2020, let us care about those on the outside. Let us do something about it because you did something about those of us who were on the outside. You came on a rescue mission. If there's someone here today that this is their day of salvation, God, I pray that you'll bind the enemy, that you'll give them the ability to make that decision to align themselves with you, and they will tell somebody about it and follow in believer's baptism. In Jesus' name, amen.